Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day with life of Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading today from Nahum chapter 1 and 2. And as we begin, a little bit about Nahum. We don't know much about this prophet. He is speaking to encourage God's people who have been in distress. They've been worried because Assyria has been basically running the region for over 100 years. And they are probably wondering, where is our God? When is he going to act on our behalf? Or are we just going to be the punching bag for Assyria as our land slowly gets stripped away? Are we always going to live in fear rather than living in freedom? And what about the promise that our God God would give this land to our forefathers. And what about the promise that, that the Messiah would come to be born at this place, to this people? Where is our God, especially when Assyria has been so destructive to us? And Nahum, we don't know much about him. We don't even know where his hometown of Elkosh is. Um, but he is probably writing between the year 663 BC and 612 BC. So that gives us a space of about 50 years when Nahum is probably writing just based on the events that have happened and the events that have not happened that he refers to in this book. And in, in this book, we begin in chapter one with basically this song kind of like a mighty fortress is our God, or maybe like Psalm 2, this song where God's people sing to encourage one another with the truth of what God has promised to do for them. You might think of Psalm 2, that the nations rage, they conspire, and the one enthroned in heaven laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. That's kind of in the background, or that's kind of the idea here from Nahum chapter 1. A Threatening Oracle Against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum from Elkosh, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and displays his anger. The Lord takes vengeance against his adversaries. He will maintain his rage against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, yet great in power. The Lord will certainly not let the guilty go unpunished. He marches out in the whirlwind and in the storm. Storm clouds are like dust, stirred up by his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry up. He makes the, all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel are completely withered. The buds of Lebanon are completely withered. The mountains quake in front of him, the hills melt away, the earth in front of him rises up, the whole world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his anger? Who can resist his fury? His rage is poured out like fire, and the rocks are torn down by him. The Lord is good. He provides a place of safety in the day of distress. He knows those who seek safety in him but he will bring this place to a complete end by an overwhelming flood. He will drive his enemies into darkness. No matter what you plot against the Lord, he will destroy your plot completely. Disaster will not need to strike them twice, because like tangled thorns, like the liquor of drunkards, like fully dried stubble, they will be fully consumed. Someone who plots evil against the Lord has gone out from you, but his wicked plans are worthless. For this is what the Lord says, Even though they are at full strength and are numerous, nevertheless they are sure to be cut off, and they will disappear. Even though I have humbled you, I will not humble you any longer. Now I will break their yoke from your neck. I will tear apart the shackles that are on you. The Lord has issued a decree against you. There will be no descendants to carry on your name. I will put an end to the carved idols and molten images in the temples of your gods. I will dig your grave because you are cursed." Look, a herald is coming over the mountain to proclaim this good news. Peace. Celebrate your sacred festivals, Judah. Fulfill your sacred vows to praise God. For never again will wickedness overwhelm you. It has been completely destroyed. 
So Nahum chapter 1 really describes this picture of God who is in control of the entire world and who can really oppose him, who can resist his fury and withstand his anger and his rage is poured out like fire. It begins um, with one of my favorite pictures in in the whole book of Nahum, Nahum 1 verse 3, the Lord is is slow to anger yet great in power. The Lord certainly will not let the guilty go unpunished. And this picture, he marches out in the whirlwind and the storm and storm clouds are like dust stirred up by his feet. Just this reminder to those who are living in the land of Israel and the land of Judah that even as they looked at the clouds, those seem so big and so far away and so powerful and strong. And that is just like dust in comparison to the power and the work that our Lord is able to accomplish. And what does he do? The mountains quake in front of him and the hills melt away. Who can withstand his anger? But there's a reminder for God's people. The Lord is good. He is a place of safety in the day of distress. He knows those who seek safety in him. But he will bring this place, talking about Nineveh, to a complete end by an overwhelming flood. He'll drive his enemies into darkness. And so this is God's promise to destroy Nineveh and to act on behalf of his people so that he can carry out his um, bringing his Messiah into the world so that he can carry out his plan of salvation for all people. Because the people of Israel are sitting there and they're thinking to themselves that Assyria has really has really been terrible in this whole region. They have terrified the people. They had destroyed the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom sitting down there in Jerusalem with their two little tribes was perhaps wondering, when are we going to be next? There was the, the account when Uh, Sennacherib attacked Israel or attacked Jerusalem rather and he tried to destroy the place and then Hezekiah laid out the statement from Sennacherib before the Lord and then the Lord came and destroyed all of Sennacherib's army but the people of Israel have had their faith shaken and they're wondering how much longer and is God really going to come through and God's promise here God's oracle in this first chapter this hymn of Nahum this this song that he sings God's promise is that he certainly has the power and he certainly will come through for his people no matter what you plot against the Lord he will destroy you completely and disaster will not need to strike them twice why because it's going to be so thorough the first time um and that's that's kind of the, the funny part of of chapter of verse ten rather the humorous part I suppose like tangled thorns and the liquor of drunkards like fully dried stubble three different pictures of things that will be fully consumed um, tangled thorns and fully dried stubble just burned up in the liquor of drunkards completely consumed. And then God lays it out very clearly without using picture language in verse 12 and 13. This is what the Lord says, Even though they are at full strength and are numerous, nevertheless they are sure to be cut off and they will disappear. Even though I have humbled you, O Israel, I will not humble you any longer. That is a strong statement and it has come true because the the kingdom of Assyria really collapsed and has disappeared. And God says, I will tear apart the shackles that are on you. And the decree against Assyria in verse 14, that there will be no descendants to carry out in your name. I'll put an end to the carved idols and molten images, and I'll dig your grave. Wow. Here's the God whose, um, whose feet stir up the dust of the storm clouds. Here's the God saying, I'm going to dig your grave and you're going to be gone. And so the, the good news for God's people, a herald comes over the mountain proclaiming peace and saying, celebrate your sacred festivals, for never again will wickedness overwhelm you. It will be completely destroyed, or it has been completely destroyed. Uh, there in verse, verse 15, 
And when God sometimes, he does this a lot in the Old Testament, Old Testament prophecy, he talks about something as having been accomplished. It has been completely destroyed, even though it's happening in the future, because in God's mind, it's as good as done. He has decided that this is going to happen and he will carry it out. And that is our comfort as well, which kind of leads us right into chapter two, which is a picture of the attack against Nineveh and the army that goes to destroy Nineveh. Um, verse chapter two is kind of this very staccato picture that begins with a series of like flashes of, of almost a movie as you see, as you see the army attacking Nineveh. It reads like this, the enemy who will scatter you is advancing against you. Guard the rampart, watch the road, prepare for battle, muster all your great strength. Why? Verse 2, for the Lord is about to restore the majesty of Jacob as well as the majesty of Israel, even though their enemies have plundered them completely and have destroyed their vines. And now the picture of the attack against Nineveh. The shields of the mighty warriors are dyed red. The soldiers are dressed in scarlet garments. The steel fittings of the chariots shine like fire on the day of battle. The soldiers shake their spears. The chariots race wildly through the streets. They rush back and forth in the city squares. They look like lightning. They dart about like flashes of lightning. The commander gives orders to his elite troops. They fall over each other as they advance. They rush to the city wall and set up the protective canopy or the battering ram. The gates that hold back the river are opened, and the palace is washed away. She is stripped and led away. Her slaves moan like doves while they beat their breasts. Nineveh was a pool of water from her beginning, but now her people are running away. She cries out, stop, stop, but no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. There is no end to the treasure. There are riches of every kind of precious thing. Destruction, devastation, and desolation. Their hearts faint, their knees tremble, every stomach churns, and every face turns pale. What has become of the lion's lair and the feeding place for young lions, where the lion, lioness, and lion's cub prowled with nothing to fear? The lion tore apart as much as prey as his cubs needed and strangled prey to provide food for his lionesses. He filled his lairs with prey and his dens with torn flesh. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord's of, Lord of armies. I'll burn up your chariots in smoke. The smoke will devour your young lions. You'll no longer ravage the land. The voices of your messengers will no longer be heard. Nahum chapter 2. Just a little bit of background about the fall of Assyria. This just from the Wikipedia page about the fall of Assyria, right? Um, the Battle of Nineveh happened in the year 612 is conventionally dated between 613 and 611. So 612, um, an allied force of the Medes and the Babylonians besieged Nineveh and sacked 750 hectares of what was at the time one of the greatest cities of the world. And the fall of Nineveh led to the destruction of the Assyrian Empire over the next three years as this most dominant state in the ancient Near East. And this is exactly what God said would happen. Archaeological records show that the capital of the once mighty Assyrian Empire was extensively de-urbanized and depopulated in the decades and centuries following the battle. A garbled account of the fall of the city later led to a number of legends, um, including a legend about one of their kings. And one of the notable, uh, notable accounts of the battle is that according to tradition laid out in one of, the, um, one of the Greek historians, the Tigris River flooded the city. And while, while he wasn't always accurate in all of his things and all of his what he said, um, the account of flooding the city with the Tigris River was given a good deal of attention because the allied armies entered the area of the outer wall and then they fought to enter the palace. 
And even as they looted the area, and the city was flooded, and the city flooded, and the city was plundered, um, at the same time, that also meant that a lot of the clay tablets. Um, where we have a lot of the writings of the Assyrians, a lot of those clay tablets were overlooked and ended up being preserved for us. And so the image, the image is that this isn't just some historical event. This is also from Nahum chapter 2. This is God's judgment against, Nin, against Nineveh, against Assyria, and God's judgment on behalf of his people. Because that's how it works, isn't it? That God has to act against something. And when he acts against something, he's also acting on behalf of something. That God acts against those who oppose his church as he acts to preserve his church. The Lord is about to restore the mighty, the majesty of Jacob as well as the majesty of Israel, even though their enemies have plundered them completely and have destroyed their vines. And the image of the attack, verses 3 and following, um, especially verse 6, is notable that the gates that hold back the river are opened and the palace is washed away. Exactly as the historical account, as best as we can tell, um, talked about, that the flooding of the city by the Tigris River was one of the major elements, major turning points in this siege against the greatest city in the world at that time. And Nineveh was like a pool of water from her beginning, but now her people are running away. She cries out, stop, stop, and nobody turns back. There is no end to the treasure. And what do we learn from this? that Assyria, in all of their power, had built one of the greatest cities of the world, the greatest city of their time. They had controlled an incredible empire, but their trust was not in the Lord. Their trust was in their own hands that cannot save. And even though they have all this strength in the world, um, when God has set his face against them and said that the time of their judgment has come, then there's no escaping. God says in verse 13, Beware, I am against you, declares the Lord of armies. I will burn up your chariots in smoke. The sword will devour your young lions. You will no longer ravage the land. The voices of your messengers will no longer be heard. And so this, this chapter leads right into the next theme of the next chapter, which we will get to next week. But what do we learn from this today? First of all, that the Lord is the one who has power over the entire earth, that even as he works on behalf of his church in a very specific and uh, an attentive way, at the same time, he is the one who restrains and restricts the evil of this world, and he is the one who governs the world, who is the one who has set up governmental powers and authorities, and he is the one who deposes them as well. Um, and so secondly, God is the one who will carry out judgment in his own time, and sometimes he uses the judgment um, executed by one nation against the other, and he acts through the one nation to tear down the other. But then finally, for you and me, what do we learn? That there is no reason to fret, no reason to fear, because our Lord has promised our Lord has promised that he will be within his church, that he will build up his people, that we aren't in the shoes and the sandals of the ancient Israelites, that God hasn't promised to, to bless our nation or to bring a Messiah from our nation the way that he did for ancient Israel. But at the same time, we recognize that this is the Lord who acts on our behalf, that there is no reason to fear, that there is every reason to rejoice and every reason to celebrate the goodness that our Lord has executed on our behalf. And that goodness most seen most clearly in the words and works of Jesus Christ. 
that God did not hold us accountable, that God did not punish us for our own, for our sin, but rather he punished his son in our place so that we would have the righteousness of God applied to us in holy baptism and holy communion. This is what we celebrate. This is the song of victory. And that is the song of victory that God's church continues to sing and rejoice in, even as even as his church continues to spread around the world at all times and in all circumstances and in all places, even as the powers of this world may try to attack or tear down or restrain or restrict God's church, whether at this place or at a different place, even if persecution were to revive against God's church in a very active and overwhelming fashion. What do we know from Nahum? Well, the Lord's way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. That this is the Lord who has promised to act on your behalf. This is the Lord who has promised to sustain his church against the attacks of the devil. This is the Lord who has done it in the past and will continue to do so in the future. So as you go about your day, just take a moment to pray for God's church here and around the world that we may continue to rejoice in the blessings that God has given to us in his word and in his sacrament, and that we don't get terrified or fearful about the events of the world around us, but rather rest confidently in the fact that God will carry out his judgment at his best time and in his best way. And it is for us to pay attention to the task that God has given to us, to proclaim his word, to gather together for worship, and to rejoice in the Lord of armies. Thanks so much for joining us here at the Raised with Jesus podcast. God bless your day.